0: good morning and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. As usual, I am your host and I'm not saying who I am because after 41 episodes, you know by now. So be that as it may, this is broadcast number 41, August 20th, 2013. And you know, last week I was on vacation and I was sitting around thinking, boy, next week classes start. I got to get my stuff in order, I'm going through my syllabuses, and I'm wondering why some of my professors aren't starting their classes until the 28th of August. And I was so confused and realized that I've been living a week behind for about a month and a half, believing, honestly, that classes started on the 21st. But they don't, thankfully. I have an entire week of getting prepared for next week's launch into what I typically call the insanity of four months of study but anyway that's coming up next week and so the podcast will slow down a little bit just as a way of information for the listeners we will be scaling back to one a week Um, typically they're posted on Fridays so look for that if you want to find out more information about the podcast as always confessingourhope.com is the website and of course if you are interested in what Greenville Seminary does, their academic programs, who are the professors that teach here, you can visit our website at gpts.edu. Most of your questions will be answered right there on that website. But if they're not in that outside chance that our website is not thorough enough for you, you can email us at info at and somebody will respond to you, I can assure you, with whatever question you may have. Don't forget about the GPTS mobile app. We have now crossed the 1,000 download threshold for it. I am very encouraged by that to know that at least a thousand people out there are interested in listening to this podcast on a weekly basis, and that is a great encouragement to me. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, you can write me at confessingourhope at gpts.edu. Today, we have the pleasure of welcoming a man on who has attended the OPC General Assembly that was held all the way out on the left coast of the United States uh, this year. Um, I don't remember what number it is, but I'm sure he'll tell us in due course as we talk about what occurred at the OPC General Assembly and some of the aspects and events that surround the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Our guest today is uh, Pastor Jonathan Holst, who is a, a recent, as it were, graduate of the seminary. He graduated with his MDiv in 2004 he previously studied in the uk and you will notice quickly when he begins to speak that he is not originally i don't think from the united states but anyway you'll figure that out i'm sure as we go but he did some studies also in the uk at the university of wales graduating there in 1991 as i said he is a pastor and he is currently ministering at westminster orthodox presbyterian church in hamden Connecticut. So, Pastor Holst, it's great to have you on and, and carving out the time. I know we had some hiccups here in the beginning, but it's great to have you on to talk about the OPC, its history, some of its uh, what it's doing, its work, where it is today, and uh, we'll just go kind of work our way through those topics, but it's, it's great to have you on. Thank you.
1: Thank you, brother. Appreciate the welcome.
0: You're welcome. Now, I mentioned in the beginning, in my ignorance, I wasn't exactly sure uh, what General Assembly number, as it were. You know, we always identify our General Assemblies by what number it is. So what, which, how many years now has the OPC been in existence, and what General Assembly was this?
1: This was the 80th General Assembly, though the uh, OPC hasn't been in existence for 80 years. Uh, it was formed in 1936. Many of your listeners will know that. There were certain years where uh, the denomination assembled twice. So this was our 80th assembly. In fact, as I sit here in my study, just to my right, I have a shelf that's about four feet long on Mm -hmm. which we have all the minutes from every every general assembly except for three. Somehow we've conspired to lose the minutes from three of those assemblies. So we almost have a, a full official record of the business of the assembly of our denomination from its inception
0: wonderful and of course that's very helpful as you meet each year and as an officer in the church knowing what has transpired throughout the history of the assembly it helps of course make wise and good decisions as you're conducting the business of the church now you mentioned that the opc began in 1936 and so i kind of have a two-sided question for you first how did the opc come to be um in, in a general sense, I, I realize you, you could take probably hours to talk about the history of the OPC. And then how did you yourself become part of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church?
1: The denomination itself uh, formed as an attempt to preserve historic Calvinism within the, the American Presbyterian context. Um, in June, June the 11th, I believe, 1936... The denomination was formed as a response to uh, disciplinary actions against uh, a particular minister, uh, John Gresham Machin. He had been deposed from the ministry within the PCUSA because he'd uh, conducted an ongoing attempt to fight against liberalism within that denomination. Uh, He and a small number of other fathers in the faith there in Philadelphia formed uh, what then was a minute denomination I believe the congregation I currently serve in here in Hamden was one of four congregations to form the OPC Presbytery of New York and New England back then in August 1936 Um, now that's a very brief answer to your first question Right. secondly um, I had the privilege of serving, uh, of studying rather, at Greenville Seminary, as you mentioned, and there I was introduced to uh, fathers and brothers in the faith from the OPC, the PCA, the ARP. Um, I came to Greenville with the express commitment of returning to uh, Great Britain at the end of my studies, and um, that commitment was kept. I served there in South Wales for uh, three years, and then uh, through contacts I had made and sustained within the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, I was informed about the vacancy here in Hamden in Connecticut, um, encouraged to apply by uh, Pastor Bill Shishko and other um, peers of mine, um, in addition to Pastor Shishko, he being a father in the faith, of course. Mm-hmm. And I had no real desire to leave Great Britain for New England. Um, but having no good reason to say no to their encouragements, I pursued it. And in God's mercy, my family and I resettled in the USA. Uh, we flew in on Friday the 13th of July uh, 2013. Arriving at the manse at 7 o'clock in the evening, Um, the children were put straight to bed, and within 45 minutes, there was a knock on the door, and I was handed a large pastoral file pertaining to one matter in the church which needed my immediate attention. Mm. So within two hours of being here, we were in the saddle, so to speak.
0: Baptism by fire, (laughs) as, as it were that's a that's an interesting story I can't even imagine um, after traveling with the kids the wife and trying to get settled in somehow in some way and then all of a sudden boom <laughs> everything changes gears and you're in the throes of of it so um, it's interesting that you mentioned that you had this commitment to go back to the United Kingdom certainly um, is that I mentioned in the introduction I took liberties a little bit and mentioned that that's where you're from now is that True, you're, you're originally from the UK. I realize you sound like you're from the UK, but...
1: I was uh, born and raised in South Wales, Wales being a principality uh, that makes up the United Kingdom.
0: Okay. And so you had this commitment to go back, and then the Lord providentially then opened these doors for you to come and serve the people there at Westminster and in Hamden. Indeed. Now. Y- You've attended. um, How many uh, OPC general assemblies have you actually attended yourself? Then
1: this is my very first one.
0: Okay, and tell us a little bit about why that may be. Now I'm in the PCA, so give some background here, real quick, for the listeners. In the PCA, we do things a little bit differently than the OPC, and and our guest is going to explain the difference. Um, I, as a ruling elder, I've attended my my first PCA general assembly. Um, appointed by my session of my church. But all officers in the church can attend the PCA General Assembly. There's no limitations, as it were. But the OPC, uh, Pastor host is a little bit different. How do they do things?
1: Uh, the main difference is the one you've already uh, elaborated on to some degree. We don't uh, have a assembly that is comprised of uh, any uh, ruling teaching elders who may attend. Rather, uh, we have a delegated assembly um, for many years. 150 commissioners, we would call them, are uh, elected by the various presbyteries. I believe there's 16, or perhaps it's 17 presbyteries that make up our denomination across the USA. And depending on the size of the presbytery, that is to say, the number of um, members of that each presbytery, uh, a a relevant number of commissioners can be nominated and sent to General Assembly with the total number reaching 150. Um, I serve in a small presbytery. Uh, that means we only get to send, I believe it's two ruling elders and two teaching elders to GA. Um, in the past, I had been elected as a commissioner. Uh, but uh, other providences hindered me from outworking that, like birth of a child and such like. Mm. so This was the first time that I had the privilege of uh, traveling to GA. Um, the assembly was held in St. Mary's College in Moraga in California, which is a Catholic institution, but I think to the satisfaction of almost everyone there, um, that Catholic identity wasn't in your face Uh, you know there were no icons or or things like that where uh, if you went looking for them you could probably find them but um, not so for us it was a a, a fine fine location Um, I'm going a little away from your question here but uh, uh, those more experienced folk told me not to expect the same standard uh, for future assemblies um, hmm. the beauty of the location was abnormal you know we had mule deer walking through parking lots um black Angus cows turkeys <laughs>
2: um,
1: and all the manner of, of bird wildlife that people who are familiar with california would recognize it was it was sweet time
0: sure i remember even watching some of my friends who were also delegates as you were uh, post pictures on facebook and twitter and y- y- listeners all know what are right, Twitter and Facebook. Anyway, um, <laughs> but I saw pictures of it, and I and I remember thinking that it, it was it seemed like a remarkable place, um, great scenery. Um, uh, one good friend of mine, who's an OPC minister up in Maine, um, took a tour of some of the countryside around after the assembly had had um, adjourned and conducted its, it finished its business, and so I remember thinking that as well. So it's interesting that you brought that up. I want to come back to the delegated assembly question real quick just just for clarification. What's when a presbytery certainly they're given um, so many delegates can come depending on the size of the presbytery. Okay what's to stop the presbytery from always electing the same man year after year after year or does that actually happen or do you rotate? Is there some kind of system where they rotate around Um, so that it's not always the same people going every time?
1: Uh, Well, that matter is left to particular presbyteries. Uh, In a presbytery such as uh, mine, it's a straightforward uh, election. Um, If you declare to the fathers and brothers in your presbytery that you wish to be the commissioner, uh, you will have to explain to them why you think you should be the guy. And if you went the year before, well, you're going to have to argue a a pretty impressive case why you should be sent again.
2: Sure,
1: Um, sure. In an eventuality such as that, you're more likely to be placed as an alternate, a backup, in other words. In other presbyteries, uh, they elect their commissioners in differing ways. I I know of uh, one presbytery where uh, half the commissioners are chosen on an alphabetical basis. And then the other half are elected from others who may be available should they wish to go. Sure. Uh, so, uh, really, how a, a presbytery elects its commissioners is a matter for that presbytery to determine. Right. Understood.
0: Yeah, I, I find much uh, as I indicated. I, I'm uh, I'm an officer in the PCA, and 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 having just attended and doing a report on this podcast on the PCA General Assembly. I find much to commend with the delegated process, though I'm in the PCA. Um, I see a great weakness, frankly, and in having 12 to 1,500 commissioners in a room trying to conduct business of the church. It just becomes a daunting task to try to get through everything that needs to be done and and when you have that many people involved. So I see great advantages to having a delegated assembly. Now, this year was your first. Were there any critical mass issues that the OPC was facing at this assembly or what was the general um,
1: well,
0: I, for lack of a better word, the general tone or atmosphere um, as you guys worked through your the docket
1: the general tone uh, was a gracious and cordial uh, efficiency I would say most of the time Um, The grace and cordiality uh, was almost constant. I think the efficiency might have been uh, the variable there. Um, Our moderator was the Reverend Jeffrey Landis from the San Jose OP Church in California. and He led by example. Um, I, as being a newbie, so to speak, learned a lot from just sitting there and watching him. Um, I hope, by God's grace, those lessons will be retained. Um, But that's the the general character. Um, Cordiality, grace, and um, ordinarily, efficiency. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were certain, let's call them high points rather than critical moments. Uh, That's just a bit Mm -hmm. broader. Um, For me, uh, the most memorable uh, moment Uh, was the restoration and reconciliation of certain brethren within the Presbytery of New Jersey. Um, Mm. You'll be aware that Connecticut is geographically fairly close to New Jersey, but my contact with that presbytery had been quite limited. Um, However, through reading minutes and and such like, I knew that there had been... uh, Points of disagreement pertaining to uh, one local church and um, issues of teaching initially in that local church, and this had rumbled on for um, longer than was God honoring, certainly. Um, but the report submitted at that, uh, at our 80th General Assembly, uh, indicated that the whole presbytery, with the exception of one congregation, had recognized faults that they had uh, committed and repeated towards certain brethren. Uh, They confessed those sins openly
2: Mm. and
1: asked for full forgiveness. Uh, We were informed of a a presbytery meeting where six times the moderator stepped from the chair uh, to apologize to one individual after another on behalf of the whole body and ask for forgiveness. Mm. Uh, The... Individuals who had been wronged um, uh, did accept that uh, apology. They granted forgiveness. Uh, A representative for them spoke at the General Assembly. And what we were presented with was a a moving testimony uh, to uh, the power of of the Lord Jesus in overcoming Mm. evil in the heart of man and in his church. That, that was a, a precious, precious time. Um, a salutary warning to those of us who act as presbyters, uh, but also a comfort and reassurance about the the grace of Christ overcoming.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, there you see the work of the church being the church and, and accomplishing what it's there to do, one of its missional responsibilities, to shepherd and guide the people and to... Um, receive and extend forgiveness when it's required, and then on the other hand, those who, as you just mentioned, as you were observing this, as you were sitting there watching this, being reminded in your own heart and mind of your responsibility as well, um, it's it's good for the whole church in that way, and um, so that's that's encouraging to hear, to see those that thing that then actually work to a positive end. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so many times people, as I'm sure, being in the ministry, you've seen this time and time again. So many people, they get bitter, they get they get angry, yeah. yep. and it just divides and destroys, and you you, don't, you feel like reconciliation will never come, and sometimes it doesn't seem to ever come. But there are those times where the Lord grants us these times where he shows us, hey, look, I'm I'm still the king ahead of the church, and I am still leading my people, and I am gracious, and here's a, a small... Snippet of that um, displayed right in front of you, and that that's a wonderful report to hear. Where, in your estimation, um, I, I realize you've been in the PC uh, the o, at the PCA, I'm sorry, the OPC for about six and a half years or so. Um, mm-hmm. Where, in your estimation, is the denomination today, as far as um, I- I- as far as its health overall?
1: We are a denomination uh, that demonstrates in some signal ways the uh, blessing of the Lord God. Uh, We can, without pride in self, but with profound gratitude to Christ, uh, we are able to look at our own uh, branch of the the church and see how Ephesians 4 is being worked out. Christ is giving gifts to his church. Uh, So there are many encouragements. Yet at the same time, um, if I can use the words of one of the uh, fathers of our denomination, John Galbra- Galbraith, uh, we are uh, stained by sin. Um, looking back in our history, right from the uh, inception of the church, back in the 1930s, there's been a uh, tension between differing groups. Um mm-hmm. I think after uh, the uh, uh, one group with Carl McIntyre left us really in the early days, there weren't too many questions among us regarding fundamentalism, you know, uh, premillennialism, uh, issues of Christian liberty, and, and, and such like. Um, uh, the initial generation set a distinct standard for. Uh, reformed orthodoxy. Now, that might not have been universally embraced by every man jack-in-the-pills, but the character and the direction was established. I think it's fair to say that by the uh, late 50s and 60s on into the 70s, those leaders had been called home by the Lord, and the new generation had to address uh, that same issue that every generation has to face, Uh, the issue of identity, Um, how do we understand our uh, work in the world today, our work and our identity as a biblical and reformed denomination. And in the past, uh, there may have been some tension between some wanting a more American, evangelical character and others wanting a more rigorous identity. But um, uh, today, I don't think you can describe the character of the church in a um, simple one-dimensional spectrum. Here some are out on the right, here others are on the left, and everybody fits in somewhere in a nice line in between. Um, I think our denomination today is more of a three-dimensional spectrum with variation going uh, left, right, forward, back, up, down, and at every interval in between almost. Uh, We are a group of people and churches that um, seeks to maintain uh, that reformed testimony in the 21st century world, and ministers ordained in the last 10, 15 years are those who are going to have to resolve now for ourselves how we understand our church's identity in carrying out that calling. Um, mm-hmm. There are legitimate variations, uh, you could say, in our group. If you were to worship with brethren in Southern California, as I have done, what you would see and experience would feel quite different to what you'd find in Connecticut, Massachusetts, Maine. Um, And and there's a legitimacy about that. You'd find that in the PCA with your brethren or uh, other national groups.
0: What, when you say there's a, a legitimate difference, what, what, would you, what would be an example of that?
1: Well, uh, if you were to compare the character of, of Bible-believing Christians in, say, California or uh, South Carolina, where you are,
2: mm-hmm.
1: there are differences uh, that you would recognize more as uh, social differences based on uh, cultural variety. And there's a legitimate way in which that will be expressed within a church. Um, That's what I I had in mind there. Um, It might be expressed in terms of worship or um, fellowship activities. Um, Here in Connecticut, for example, uh, the Connecticut Yankee is a real, genuine phenomenon. (laughs) The Connecticut Yankee is different from a New York City Yankee different from New Hampshire folk. Um, And and if you were to parachute into Connecticut from South Carolina and expect to see South Carolinian relationships, hospitality and such, then you'd be sadly disappointed.
2: Uh,
1: Mm. uh, Now, there is a degree in which those differences are not inherently sinful so I'm talking about legitimate variations like that
0: sure sure then, well there's cert- I'm sorry go ahead After you. well there's certainly differences in culture from you know different corners of the country and, and, and you're right I, I was thinking as you were talking about that I was just thinking about you know even the way people dress sure. Um, sure. in certain places of the country you know going to church with a sh- shirt and tie on is like unheard of I, I can't imagine. With my upbringing, where I was raised, not going to church with a shirt and tie on. Right. So, um, I mean, hopefully you're wearing a shirt, but you may not be wearing a tie. I mean, uh, hopefully in California it's not that bad, where they're not wearing shirts to church. Okay, just to clear that up. Um, but you, I think you know what I'm talking about. So we're talking about issues of non-consequence, really. Yes. Um, as opposed to um, following the confession, strong theological distinctives, mm-hmm. and and so forth. Now you mentioned this this phrase that caught my uh, ear when you said it and perhaps listeners were wondering the same thing. When you talk about a Reformed testimony, what does that mean? At least from the OPC's perspective, when you say Reformed testimony, what are you driving at?
1: I understand that to be a biblical voice or message coming from those who have seen or perceived the, the glory of the Holy God whose mind has been transfixed by that, that perception so that they have a theocentric worldview, a theocentric mindset. They are striving to bring every thought into conformity to the will of Christ Jesus. Uh, uh, it, it would be a testimony coming from individuals whose uh, in, in spirits have been abased before the holy God whom they know, for they know themselves as sinners. It's a testimony which would be characterized by uh, a delight in God's grace, hearts that love the Lord because he has uh, forgiven us our sins in Christ our Savior. It would be a testimony, therefore, which subordinates um, pragmatic matters to a will which is transfixed and, and seeking to obey Christ at every point. Mm. Um, that's quite a, a convoluted answer to your question but there's an anatomy, a spiritual anatomy to man sure. a reformed testimony will involve um, heart, soul, mind and strength of man in presenting the word and, and the, the whole counsel of God to the culture roundabout
0: well let me ask you this question in relationship to what you just said if, um, if I had a, a Baptist listener um, hearing how you just described it, how would that differ if it differs from a Baptist testimony or even a Methodist testimony or another evangelical camp's testimony is there a difference or, 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 or is it very similar
1: there are distinct differences which will be more apparent in some of those examples that you just named than mm-hmm. uh, in others Uh, I had the privilege of preaching just last Sunday at a Reformed Baptist church in Connecticut. And I know that the brethren there uh, agree with my understanding of the Reformed faith in in many, many points. Um, My understanding of Reformed Christianity is simply... uh, a man laying hold of of the word of God in utmost dependence on the spirit of God uh, and thus seeking to obey that word
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, the heart of the issue in answer to your question is love for the Lord that leads to a resolve to do what pleases the Lord and to avoid what doesn't please the Lord and, and that will have certain implications for, um, I would say, a doctrine of baptism. Well, you know, I believe scripture teaches specific things about who are part of the household of faith and who should have the mark of membership of that household. Uh, so am I going to, out of love for the Lord, be faithful to his word on that point? Yes or no? And And... Does that in some way answer your question, sir?
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I What I think I was driving at and, and was hoping you flesh out, and you did, I think somewhat, um, that within the framework of the OPC and the denomination itself, um, as a Reformed, trying to express this Reformed testimony, uh, you know, we're guided by the, the, the totality of Scripture alone for all matters of faith, practice, and, and I think even our Baptist brothers, they would agree with that. Yes. But the difference, I think, fundamentally, then starts to show itself in this testimony to the world, is that we're not only—we uh, we don't only say that, but we also say that we are confessionally driven church that that upholds the Westminster Confession of Faith, and and we give complete allegiance and and, and agree with it in so far as it goes. Um, it doesn't trump Scripture, but it's a, it's a good summary of Scripture and. And here is that fine distinction between what separates us in a sense, and that separate, I don't mean separate in a bad way, I mean separate in the sense that um, the differences, those clear differences between our Baptist brothers who we love and our Methodist brothers and our Wesleyan brothers and whatever the case may be. And so here is where we find it expressed completely, as far as we understand it, um, as Reformed individuals. Now we've talked a little bit about, the theology and, and so this and in some sense we've been talking around theology um, but as far as the OPC and maybe specifically this GA as, as, as I've heard from people um, this was not a theologically difficult General Assembly no. um, and there was no real rancor or difficulties of discussion on theological matters per se um, everything's theological right but in general um,
1: I agree with that yes
0: but, but where in the where Where is the OPC theologically today, Um, and are there any um, issues that are out there, kind of on the surface, starting to show themselves, perhaps, and things that you may foresee down the road, things that the denomination may have to deal with? I realize that's kind of an open-ended question. (laughs) Sure,
1: sure. Starting, if I may, with where are we today? Sure. Uh, we're in a fluid situation uh, in my judgment the only time a church is in a fixed position is when it's become ossified or dead uh, uh-huh. so it's uh-huh. it's a fluid situation um, I mentioned that those of us who are the younger generation of uh, officers uh, have to figure out how to guide the church in our a quite dramatically changing world and um, as American society seems to be more content to live with some form of uh, abortion law, as it's more you know, pro-divorce and pro-gay relationships, so-called gay marriage, there's no marriage at all, um, how are we going to respond to that? Are we going to retreat to our splendid high ground? Are we going to strive to be the voice of God in contact with such a culture? Uh, To what degree do we invest ourselves in those particular situations and adjust our identity to the situation? Uh, You know, questions which we have to uh, resolve. Um, I'll have my own specific answers to some of those, but as a denomination, I think it's fair to say uh, we recognize that cultural accommodation is by no means the avenue that we should take. Not only would it compromise the spiritual identity of the church, it would also fail to assist the culture we strive to to be a blessing to. Um, more, more particularly, uh, we face discussions that... Uh, pertain uh, to actual theological issues that lie behind questions about social interaction. Um, uh-huh. we, we will have to address the questions of uh, the republication of the uh, covenant of works in the Mosaic Covenant, and... Uh-huh. Um, and I think it's fair for me to say that listeners can watch out for further discussion on that. Uh, the social implications of that debate um, will be quite clear. Um, you could in also your, go on.
0: I'm sorry. In your exp- in, in your interaction with that specific issue, and as I, as you were uh, as you were speaking, I was thinking about some that I've. Uh, have noticed or, or, been alerted to at some level, um, thanks to social media, um, for all those who think social media is bad. It, it can be bad. Um, but it can be very informative and helpful on some of these matters. Um, I, th- is that, would you say in your, in your opinion, of course, uh, that this is primarily an OPC issue dealing with the republication, the, the republication issue, or is that, do you find that that's make an inroads into other denominations as well as far as the reformed denominations
1: i'm going to be hesitant to speak for others uh i would i would imagine that um the questions that we in the opc are having to uh, to ask and those particular issues uh, also um Mm -hmm. seen in other reformed denominations. I mean, I I know that to be the case, but it's not my position to uh, speak here in public in a particular way about other families, so to speak. Um, uh, So, yes is the answer to your question, but I'm not going to be drawn on particulars. I think uh, moving to a related issue, um, we in the OPC also... Uh, are working through questions of uh, two kingdom theology.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't
1: uh, anticipate that uh, that debate will happen quite in the formal way that the uh, republication debate might. Uh, rather, I think two kingdom theology um, will evolve in differing ways in different parts of the denomination. And and we're not going to be addressing that perhaps in the same way that uh, we might address the issue of republication.
0: Uh, Sure. It it is interesting to me, um, having read somewhat on the two kingdom views, um, that it does seem to try to address what you had already mentioned, these social issues that we find occurring in our world um, by offering somewhat of a – for lack of a better word, a solution um, in this two-kingdom outlook. Um, I'm not sold on it. I'm not even sure I buy it, but anyway, that's another podcast for another day. Um, But it is interesting that some of this two-kingdom theology seems to be coming out of even the same area of the country where you had your General Assembly. I can't help but notice the connection, but that's beside the point.
2: Um, Yeah,
1: it's not just the left coast. Um, You could go to Gordon-Conwell near Massachusetts Mm -hmm. and You'll see more of it there.
0: Yeah, that is uh, it is interesting um, how sometimes these are regionalized issues that sort of begin to make inroads mm-hmm. in other places. Um, we've talked about the republication. Two and theology is probably, as in your estimation, at least not as much on the horizon as the initial one. Um, are there any other theological issues that, in your, uh, of course, in, in understand, you know, you're obviously only offering your opinion. None of this is um, <laughs> it, the gospel truth, as yes, it were. Yeah, thank you know for I mean. that, Kevin. Yeah, I mean, it, it, certainly, um, this is your opinion. You're yes. esti- you know, we're asking you to speak candidly on what you see as going on. Um, are there any other issues within the OPC that you might consider something that the denomination may have to address at some level or maybe even regional matters that you've been address- been aware of?
1: Well, um, and there are always regional matters, if I can start mm-hmm. with the last part of your question. Sure. Um, and each presbytery or, or, or maybe even cluster of presbyteries will have to resolve for themselves how to address those and um, in the recent past two of our presbyteries have asked for um let's call it an advisory committee from Pre- from general assembly to be erected to uh, perhaps mediate or advise and that, that's something which we've seen in the last few years um
0: which is a great benefit to being in a connected denomination. Yes. Because you can seek help and get help when you need it. Yes. You know, you're not out there by yourself, and if things start to go badly, uh, you, you just kind of got to figure it out on your own. Um, you have the assistance of brothers uh, and fathers in the faith who can come alongside and assist and help, even if it's difficult, because it may be. But I find that to be a tremendous benefit of Presbyterianism, but... Again, another podcast, probably for another day. (laughs) Anyway, I'm sorry.
1: I think uh, if we move away from the regional to the more national, um, in my opinion, um, some foundational work was done in the uh, uh, late 90s, uh, particularly by our Committee on Foreign Missions and our Committee for Home Missions and Church Extension. And that committee's name is a bit of a mouthful, but it just is a... Historical echo of the uh, uh, original evangelistic efforts of Presbyterians in America when church extension was done in the so called civilized cities, but uh, home mission work was to the Indians. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, But
1: those two committees uh, put some. Wow, I was going to use the word seminal documents together, but that might be overstating it a bit. They put together uh, documents stating uh, biblical principles uh, behind foreign missions, um, uh, biblical principles behind uh, domestic mission work and and, and church extension. Um, These documents are available on our denominational website. Uh, They provide uh, fine reading for those who are trying to put together a theology of missions, uh, but also uh, they those documents in the two committees pretty much said, okay, uh, this is where we stand in our biblical principles pertaining to the Great Commission.
2: Mm. Um,
1: and that, I think, has been a blessing. Uh, you and listeners will be aware of Uh, various models which are are presented for uh, church growth, church extension, mission works, domestic or foreign, and um, such models seem to change just as fashions on the catwalk change. Uh, Sure. But in in our neck of the woods, uh, we've been well served by the work of those fathers in the faith in both our missionary committees. Uh, So that's reduced spectrum let's say for disagreement um, at least public disagreement as far as i know sure
0: um, well, we just had dr tony curto on who obviously you know very well hmm. and um who's very active in missions within the opc and we just had him on a few weeks ago to talk about a philosophy of missions and i found it to be extremely helpful um uh, discussion um I didn't know it before, but as we were working our way up to the interview, found out that this was pretty much his 13 13 weeks of class notes on the subject of missions from a reform perspective that I was getting in about an hour and a half. And so I asked to just be excused from the class in my fourth year, and I won't have to take the class anymore because I just did it. But no, seriously, but he he gave a well-argued um, position uh, about how missions should be done, why it's done the way it's done, and and you know what the certain presuppositions behind it. And I found it to be very helpful, and I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if he was not involved within the OPC um, in drafting or somehow dealing with some of these issues of missions in the first place. And, and if memory serves me correctly, uh, Pastor Holst, wasn't the issue of missions one of the one of the big? issues in the early days of the OPC?
1: Uh, Indeed. As you were commenting there, I was just reflecting to myself that uh, many discussions about issues in denominations um, end up in the field of mission work. You can look back in church history, not only in the OPCs, but other denominations. Where have the bones of contention actually manifested themselves? Usually Mm -hmm. it's mission work and mission field.
0: Absolutely. And I know the OPC is very active um, in numerous countries um, in this field. And frankly, I'm very grateful uh, for a denomination that takes these things seriously, not just in in the side of going, but how do we go? Mm -hmm. and who's who's going to send them and how is it all going to be done it's not just a okay i stand up in church one day decide i want to be a missionary and then everything i just go uh no it there's a process and there's a carefully laid out uh, roadmap to accomplish these things always with the goal as dr curto said and that's really our next subject as it relates to the opc always with the goal of planning churches and and how is the opc doing i know i've i've lost track of the statistics as far as the number of members in the denomination right now, but um, do you know offhand how many total churches the denomination has? I'm
2: sorry, question. I do not.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's um, okay, I'm sorry. I put you on the spot a little bit there. Well, that's probably easy to find out if you go to the OPC website. Um, I'm sure you could find out, but I know the OPC is very committed to the work of planning churches. and um,
1: I know and how many our- mission works we have.
0: Oh, and, by all means.
1: You know, uh, currently there are uh, uh, 31 uh, home missionaries or church planters.
0: That, that's 31 domestic churches yes, then, uh, and, US-based?
1: And that is stretching from uh, Puerto Rico to Seattle or from uh, Bridgeton in, in um, not northern Maine but mid-Maine right across to uh, a work south of San Diego, just on the, the edge of San Diego there, mm. uh, Capistrano mm-hmm. Beach, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but um, those are the 31, and our missionaries, our home missionaries, and foreign actually, are funded centrally. Uh, sure. Rather than having to go to tend on the churches and attain commitments to X number of dollars. Um, and, and, and there's uh, practical and principal reasons for pursuing that model uh, we have the privilege of praying uh, almost every Lord's Day for um, any one of these 31 causes across the USA uh, we also of course at a local level pray for our foreign missionaries uh, you mentioned they're active in several countries and um, we currently have missionaries in nine mission fields, which is not a, a massive number, uh, but uh, certain criteria for maintaining meaningful commitment need to be uh, met and continued in order uh, to, to open a new field. Sure. Um,
0: yeah, I, like I said, I appreciate the OPC's, philosophy of missions for lack of a better way of expressing it but you know what I mean by that I appreciate their what drives it how it's organized it's not just a fly by night thing oh you want to be a missionary then go be a missionary And you're kind of out there on your own doing it on your own and there's clearly stipulated a clearly stipulated framework upon which the missionaries in the OPC operate and that's not true frankly of every denomination now and, and, and I think this is a, a, one of the reasons why we we see the great commission not taken as seriously as it probably ought to be because when Christ says go therefore make disciples he didn't say go therefore make converts Right. obviously disciples are converts but they're not just converts they're disciples there's a difference as it were uh, converts grow into disciples and that means you plant churches and you labor within the, the divine right of the church as I said in the interview with Dr. Curdo and asked him about that and that's where the authority comes and that's how it needs to be done. The church sends forth, the church is built up, the kingdom is expanded through the work of the church, mm-hmm. and I appreciate the way the OPC handles those those matters. Now, what about evangelism? Now, here's that bugaboo word, right? And our culture just loves that term evangelism, but I don't think anybody honestly can explain it very carefully. What do we mean by evangelism, and how does the OPC view evangelism?
1: Well, if truth be told, um. The OPC's view of evangelism on the ground will vary. Um, it's uh-huh. it's not. I, I could present to you uh, my understanding of the biblical principle and say, okay, that's what the OPC endorses, and and fine, that may be true enough, uh, but. Um, The majority, maybe even all, of the Reformed denominations across the world will have some among their number that are more evangelically minded than others. Um, In our particular dark denomination, we do have to guard against a um, false understanding of the doctrines of grace that might lead an individual to presumption. Uh-huh. A presumption that God will bring them in, there we are, or presumption that, hey, I'm already in. Um, there are some of our brethren who uh, set a, a clear example in a zeal for the lost funneled through a robustly biblical ecclesiology. Uh-huh. And that might sound a little... Uh, Convoluted to some of the listeners, but basically, it's a, an understanding that uh, yes, every Christian is called to be a witness to the world. Uh, we out the work of that witness, yes, in, as an individual, uh, but in a particular way through our local churches. Um, yep, there is a subtle difference between one's witness and evangelism. And uh, many of our congregations and presbyteries um, do uh, seek to uh, emphasize both uh, the evangelistic work of the church and the personal witness of the individual. Um, Mm. Differing locations across the country have differing opportunities.
2: Sure.
0: Oh, no, there's no question about that. Certainly, especially in the climate we find ourselves yes. today, yep. different regions of the country are d- dealing with different issues. And um, as I was just commenting to somebody recently, I said, you know, providentially, God didn't move you into this part of the country or this neighborhood just because that's where you were going to live. Uh, you have neighbors that live next to you that probably don't know the Lord, and you have a responsibility to point them there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where He, why he put you there. Yep. If, if for no other reason, that's why you're there. And, um, to be that salt and light to those people watching and observing your life. Now, the OPC is very active in other areas, of course, not just missions, evangelism, church planning. They have, um, obviously an online presence, but they also, uh, I believe it's monthly release, um, a denominational magazine. Is that the best way to put it? I had used to have one here laying around somewhere. Uh, but anyway, um it's it New Horizons?
1: Uh, yes, New Horizons is our magazine. Um, I, I, if memory serves me correctly, I think it's produced 10 times a year, so it's almost monthly. Um, as I look past my computer, in front of me I've got a July edition and then a combined August-September edition. So,
0: And as I understand things, now they are available in PDF format on the OPC website um, just about I think they just started doing that a few months back, mm-hmm. um, so anybody can read it, get their hands on it, and, um, str- and frankly, it, it's a wonderful tool and a wonderful magazine. I read it, um, book reviews, uh, theological articles, a whole calendar there of for the month of uh, pray for this missionary, pray for this church planner, pray for this church, um, just constant reminders of the ordinary means of grace for God's people in, 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 in not just the OPC, but any denomination that cares about these matters, um, uh, I find it to be very helpful uh, publication and well-done well done, um, well done uh, magazine. Um, how do you know if, is it a subscription-based thing, if people wanted to get the actual hard copy, or is, it, is that just widely distributed?
1: Oh, you can subscribe. Um, I'm just flicking to the front cover now. Um, subscription is uh, a possibility. Um, I can if, if, if readers wanted to, they could go online and find all the uh, subscription details to have the magazine sure. mailed to them. Uh, I think it is 20 oh, excuse me. Um, I think it's20 dollars annually. Okay. Uh, 30 for Canadians. Um, that's 30 the people living in Canada not $30 for Canadians who happen to live here we don't discriminate like that um,
0: <laughs> sure no
1: problem uh, but the, the PDFs are available as you say it, it is a, a helpful magazine um, it, it's filled with both practical and theological matters
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: so it's a benefit to all uh, book reviews um, enable those who haven't got a great deal of time to read to get a general heads up of what's out there and pick and choose um i would commend it to readers or to listeners even
2: yeah
0: absolutely I, I like i said i i may be in the pca but you know so um i still read good material and it's good it, it's edifying it it's it's strengthening it's challenging at times um it's it's informative um it's I, I find it to be very helpful and keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on in the in a sister denomination, uh, such as the OPC, and so it's helpful. I was originally, as many listeners will know, I've told this story before, um, I was brought into the Reformed tradition through the OPC. I I lived in Rochester, New York. Um, I was beginning to sense that my upbringing, that was my experience with the Reformed tradition was coming into an OPC congregation, and that's where I learned um, these doctrines of, of Calvinism, election, the covenant, you know, the the full swath of things. And uh, providentially, the Lord moved me out of the OPC when I moved to Virginia. There was no OPC work within three hours of my house, and uh, I didn't know any better. So I joined the PCA because that was the only place I had to go. And mm-hmm. that's how the Lord worked in our lives, my wife and my family. And um, so that's where we're laboring now. But again, I still read the, the material that the OPC puts out because it's helpful. And so, you know, it's not an us against them kind of thing. You know, we're all in this together. We just have little differences as to the way we do things, and um, or a lot of differences depending on who you ask. Um, I might be one of those people, Um, but but I find that the domination has been very helpful for the for the kingdom uh, of Christ and um, pointing people to the truths. As I used to tell my children, being reformed is not a flavor of Christianity. It is. Christianity. It is the, the full expression of Christianity, and and I have no problem saying that. I know that irritates some people, but the reality is is that um, I'm Presbyterian and Reformed by conviction, not because it's convenient.
1: Uh-huh. Uh
0: huh. And in fact, it's almost rarely convenient. Sometimes it would <laughs> be easier to just be on my own, do my own thing, leave me alone.
1: For the short um, term, it would be easier. In the long term, we'd all come undone. Right?
0: That's right. That's right. Well, this has been very helpful and, and aside from our technological hiccup there in the middle and hopefully nobody will ever be able to tell that we had one. Um, maybe I should run a contest and see if people could tell me the exactly when it occurred. But um, but it's been good to have you on and, and uh, just for, um, for my listeners to know how they might pray for you as you labor there in Hamden, are there any particular things that the listeners could be praying for as you labored there as, as the minister uh, at Westminster
1: uh, sure there are um, indefatigable spirit boldness to preach the word of God uh, wisdom and grace to shepherd the flock the blessing that I would see the goodness of the Lord while in the land of the living and let's not lose heart uh, there's some particulars just to start off with
0: sure Well, there you go. So now if you're, perhaps you're not in the OPC and you're looking for a church home, maybe, maybe you're not even reformed. Maybe you're thinking about, like I was, where you were, you're beginning to question some things. Um, if you want to find out more information about the OPC, you can go to their website. I think it's opc.org. Correct. I think. Yeah. Okay. So I was correct at least once today. Um, even a clock is right twice, even a broken clock's right twice a day. Um, But there you go. So you can go to the Orthodox Presbyterian Church's website. It's a very well-done website, very informative, helpful, and you can find out more information about it. Perhaps there's one in your town or your home, and you can visit it. And if you have any questions, you certainly could ask the elders or the minister there um, as well. So use those resources, get involved. If you're, again, considering even any aspect of the Reformed tradition, um, I can assure you, you won't be disappointed. Like I said, I am Presbyterian by conviction. I love it. I I could never be anything else. Um, By God's grace, this is where he has us. And then, of course, there's the resources, even if you're not in the OPC. You can take advantage of these resources, the New Horizons monthly, as an almost monthly uh, magazine that's available for free online and for a small cost each month to be sent right to your... Mm
1: -hmm. Many people outside the denomination do take advantage of those.
0: Absolutely, I mean, and they should, I mean, even, you know, because it's helpful material, and it helps you with your walk with Christ, which is really the goal of any of these denominations, I don't care which one you're in, that ought to be the goal, to honor the Lord, honor His name, and to cause His people to be strengthened, edified, and to walk with Him as they're called to, Amen. as the Apostle Paul calls us to, so... Um, in that, I think, the PCA, the OPC, the RPCNA, the RPC-US, we don't have enough time for me to name all of the alphabets. All would agree. And we just don't always agree about how to go about it, but we agree about that, I think, mm-hmm. at least, as we um, as we talk about things. Pastor Holtz, it's been good to have you on and talk about these things. Thank you, um, brother.
1: I've enjoyed the time we'll with be, you.
0: We'll be praying for your work there. And God would bless it richly and your presence there in Hamden. Would be a testimony to God's goodness um, to His people. uh, Frankly, as you labor there in that um, small, small corner of the globe, as it
2: were.
1: And if I may just interrupt, um, here in Hamden, uh, we continue praying for Greenville uh, Seminary. It's our privilege to be able to support the seminary. Uh, We have and will continue praying for the incoming students. um, Am I right saying it's the largest incoming year so far?
0: It's it's pretty big. I don't know if it's the largest, okay. but it's up there. It's, it definitely ranks in the top th- two or three. Um, I missed the last staff meeting, so I'm not exactly sure right. what the numbers are, but I know it's pretty big, um, which is great. And it's in, in a lot of them are resident students, which is even more encouraging um, as well. So, yeah, we're excited. It's going to be an exciting year. Um, I'm, ex- I'm 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 excited. Kind of. Well, <laughs> you, know um, I, you know what I mean by that? <laughs> yeah, I, do. I do. Not complaining. Just know. I know what's in front of me. Uh-huh. And, um, so, yeah, two classes with Dr. Piper this semester.
1: Well, that, that seminary was a massive blessing for me, and I, I pray that it will be a blessing for you and other students.
0: Absolutely. And I'm sure, I know it has. And, and the OPC is actually uh, one of our recent graduates, as, as we mentioned, church planning. He's working out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, uh, ministering there in a mission work and um, and very excited to see what the Lord's doing out there in the west midwest and we're a bit
1: closer to you just across the state line in Georgia I believe
0: and yet you're right absolutely in fact a recent graduate one that just graduated this past May is laboring there now so so there's a lot of a lot of activity a lot of things going on and and it's good to see the seminary um, be involved even in a small fraction of small way um in doing these things but uh but it's good to talk with you and to hear about what's going on in the opc um and some of the issues and and goods the bads the positives the negatives but you know we all a bunch of sinners um, trying to labor through yes. this world as pilgrims and trying to be honoring to the lord as mm-hmm. we do it but it's good to talk with you and i'm appreciative of the fact that you took the time i know you're busy um and it's good to have you to on to talk about
1: thank this. you for the invitation
0: Absolutely. Let me give everybody a real quick rundown of what's coming up on the program. Um, After this discussion, which will be released on Friday, um, which means the day you're listening to it, there's a few more broadcasts currently scheduled. As I go through my calendar, I'm going to be talking with an author of a book on the subject of family worship that will be coming up next week. And the week after that, there's a bunch of things going on. I I don't even want to get into it. There's so much going on in the podcast. I'm thankful for the man who helps get these things scheduled for me. Um, But coming up on the 19th of September, Dr. Piper will be back on for segment number three of the faith and practice uh, portion of the podcast. That means if you have a question you would like him to address on the air, you need to write in. Uh, right in at confessingourhope at gpts.edu with your question of a theological or practical nature, doesn't matter, or you can utilize the form there on the confessingourhope.com website. Either way, get your questions in to me, and then I will submit them to him in time for the September 19th broadcast, where he will then deal with your questions, the listeners' questions. That's This is your program, that day anyway, it's your program. So you get to dictate what we're going to talk about on the air so submit your questions in for that broadcast coming up in september don't forget about the mobile app as i mentioned earlier get it downloaded it's free and with the semester starting up here soon all the seminary chapels will be posted to it as well so take advantage of those resources but until next week we do thank you for listening to this edition of confessing our hope the podcast of greenville presbyterian theological seminary and god bless